listening to a Drishti Point podcast. Please visit our website for more inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. Welcome, Padma. It's great to have you back on Drishti Point. Thank you, Sarah. Today, our subject is the um, topics of um, dhyana or meditation and samadhi, which I'm hoping mm-hmm. you will help us to translate. So, um, maybe if you could just for a moment uh, refer back to the interview that you did the last time you were on Drishti Point about concentration and what comes next after we're able to develop the ability to concentrate. All right. Yes, last time we talked about uh, pratyahara and dharana, which are the turning into the attention and the concentrated focus, the one-pointedness of the mind's attention. And these actually um, come to the end of the second chapter of Patanjali, the, the chapter on how to practice yoga. So um, then it goes directly into the third chapter, which is called The Powers of Yoga. So in a way, um, I understand it that Patanjali is saying that after you've done all your practice, your you know, yama, niyama, pranayama, pratyahara, uh, those are your practices, and then you go into the last um, kind of aspect of yoga, which is dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. And these he actually puts into a whole new chapter called The Powers of Yoga. And so it's as if these last limbs of yoga, the concentration, dharana, the meditation, dhyana, and that um, unfolded state of oneness, the samadhi, are not technically uh, in the practices section. They're more in the fulfillment part of your yoga practice, as if these are what um, what start to happen to you, what transformations begin to happen um, in the mind of the meditating yogi. So wouldn't we, we can understand power not as powers that we may gain, but the the powers of the practice itself and the the things that unfold as a result of that immense power that that the practices um, have in them. That's right. I mean, all all of the second chapter is about cultivating energy and cultivating uh, concentrated mind. And these are the practices of yoga. Mm -hmm. And so then that's going to have a result, both physically and in your mind consciousness. And so the whole third chapter of Patanjali describes the kinds of um, natural perfections they're called actually of the bhuti uh, pod this chapter is um, also known as the siddhis the perfections that happen so it's as if your your kind of clear perfect self starts to manifest more and so your your body is more um, in tune with nature in tune with um, the universe and your mind is more focused, more steady, and more able to directly perceive what truly is manifesting as it is without uh, mental distortion. Mm-hmm. So these are the powers. The powers is, is basically clarity and, and perception and being fully in tune. So the dharana is, um, we talked about last 
time is the practice of taking that scattered mind and practicing focusing it to be able to be still and focused on one place. And then moving into uh, the next chapter, Patanjali describes dhyan and samadhi, which are, well, dharana, dhyan, samadhi there, um, which all together he calls sanyam. This word means basically a complete focused oneness with perceiving. So um, the practices of dhyan, meditation, is part of this. <laughs> so it, um, is meditation something that we do in the sense that we, uh, we're, we're used to thinking about that in, in Western society of things we do? Or is meditation more of a state of, of being or a state of consciousness? Well, that's an excellent question because um, I would say that the dharana, pratyahara and dharana, are meditation techniques that you do, that you actually practice. Mm -hmm. But by the time you get to dhyan, the reason it's a whole limb by itself is because it's not just a technical practice. Mm -hmm. It's more the result of all these other practices you've done. It's the seventh limb. And it is a state, transformed state, of just sitting in utter stillness. They say it's like your mind is still with no movement, like a candle sitting in a, a windless room with no flickering. There's absolutely no disturbance in the mind field itself. And there starts to be a, a flow of consciousness. Another way of describing it is that like when you take a, a picture of oil and pour it very gradually and there's just a constant stream flowing without being broken. Mm-hmm that kind of mind. It's like your mind is absolutely still and in this, in this um, steady, constant flow, which is not disturbed by any thought or perceptions or distractions or anything like that. It's, it's a kind of a, a different state, which I know that people who meditate frequently, regularly, they do touch on that naturally. It just comes. The mind becomes that still, flowing space. Now, how is that different from what's what's next, samadhi? And can you can you give us, um, if possible, a, a translation into English of what samadhi means? Well, samadhi, um, sama means oneness with, and dhi is the intellect in Sanskrit. So samadhi is when your mind is completely one with what is, as it is. There's no other disturbance. So um, it may be the samadhi of deep meditation, which is simply sitting in that deep, dark, still, quiet space of mind. Mm -hmm. Um or it might be a samadhi of a particular thought. You're focusing on one thought. You're totally one with that. Or when you open your eyes then, the samadhi doesn't go away. Um, it's a, just a sense of oneness with all that is perceived. So again, samadhi is uh, a transformed state of mind. It's a transformed, it's like an evolved mind. Now, I've... I've often heard a very particular metaphor in various yoga texts in describing samadhi where it's mm. mentioned 
the knower, the knowledge, and the object of knowledge unite. Is mm. this um, what you're what you just described? It is. I mean, when you have the knower, the known, and the and the space of knowingness, it's called in English. Um, you still have that duality of the knower and the known. And so you could say that the practices of dharana and even dhyan are still in that in that state of knower knowing something. So even if, if what you're knowing is perfect, fluid stillness. So samadhi is something different than that? Samadhi is transformed again. And samadhi is really a oneness with that. There's no separate ego observing uh, an exterior reality. It's really the egoless state. It's the state of utter oneness with being and perception. So it's really um, it's hard to grasp, but the yogis realize this is really an amazing revelatory state of consciousness and um, everybody can kind of even have glimpses of it, if not be totally established there. Now let's that's something I'd like to come back to a little bit later, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, in the last couple interviews, we've talked and related a lot of um, these practices to the chakras, the mm -hmm. energetic body. And I'm, one, and I've, I'm wondering how samadhi is experienced um, in that level and how it's related to the chakras. Well, you could say that uh, that it is basically an opening of your crown chakra, Sahasrara chakra. You could say that that uh, the, all the energetic yogic work you've done so far, right, from the Mool chakra all the way up right to the the um, Agnya chakra, which is the forehead, mm -hmm. and then right up to the Sahasrara, those are all related to um, limbs of yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, you could say that the, the Agnya Chakra at the forehead would be like Dihan, that's that mind which is totally still and uh, steady. And then the top of the crown of the head is the Sahasrara Chakra, the thousand-petaled lotus, which would represent um, the state of transformed awareness. It's no longer individual, it's, it's now a, a more of a oneness awareness. And, and I suppose with the uh, experience of these chakras awakening or opening that once, if we can say a person comes out of that state of consciousness, that that um, opening it, it is not changed. Well, you mean as um, once you've experienced that? Yes. Well, it always is present. That's the thing about the um, the samadhi space is it doesn't actually come and go. It's actually what is constant. What comes and goes is individual consciousness. So you come out of samadhi and now um, believe that you're an individual ego and body and world and have problems and personality and situations. And then you go back into samadhi. <laughs> so um, the the constant is the state of oneness and samadhi, and the changing is the individual um, ego self with all of these chakras and energies and karma and relationships. Are there different types of samadhi? Because I I've um read in some books reference to some states of samadhi which um, 
which have an effect that all karmas dissolve. Um, and there seems to be other, other levels of samadhi. So are there different types of this experience of oneness? Well, samadhi is also understood in, um, in different ways. You're right. There are levels of, of samadhi. And, um, it can be thought of as, uh, generally as sabij and nirbij, which is with, with seed and without seed, um, oneness. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there's a whole realm of meditations which are in the category of with, with substance meditation. There's the meditations on things. And this is, is, um, divided into vitarkvichar, anand, and asmita. Samadhi. <laughs> so these four levels of um, formed samadhi, formed uh, a vision of oneness, are vitark, vichar, anand, asvitar. Vitark is when you're in complete oneness of, of uh, awareness of relative form. So it's if you're aware of the relative dichotomies that are going on. You're aware of relationships. You're aware of objects and things. Mm-hmm. Right, vichar is when um, you're aware of that in the mind field. So uh, vichar samadhi is when you're aware of um, the thinking and thoughts that you're aware of that as being part of the oneness. But mm-hmm. you're, it's kind of being reflected now in thought. You have a thought and you realize, oh, that thought is part of oneness. The thought, thought is me as well. So there's a kind of oneness with form. There's oneness with thought. The next one is vichar on and is a state of bliss. So now the the meditator is aware that there's a state of bliss, mm-hmm. which uh, he or she is experiencing, and that state of bliss is one with the meditator. That is your state of bliss, which you're experiencing. There's not a duality of that. And the final um, asmita is when the refined state of I, self, is the kind of object of your meditation, the object of your samadhi, and you realize that I sense is you as well. It's like it's not a dualistic quality. So that might sound confusing, but all I'm saying is that there are different... Um, different places you can put your attention in meditation and the yogis have identified you know form thought the space of bliss and then the sense of i existence are four different realms you can put your attention mm-hmm. when you're putting your attention on something right. so those are all called with with form meditation these are all things you can meditate on now, let's let's have some time to absorb a little bit what you've been talking about. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue our interview with Padma. Great. Welcome back. We've been talking about samadhi and dhyana, but... Uh, Padma, the last thing that you were talking about specifically was the different types of samadhi, which I think can seem, unless you've had that experience, quite abstract. How can we relate this to our everyday lives um, and the purpose and function 
the the purpose of these kinds of experiences and the uh, relevance that they have to our daily life? Well, all of the practices, obviously, of yoga, you know, the the, the lifestyle practices, the physical practices, the energetic practices, um, and then going into dharana, pratyahara, and dharana, which are the mind practices. All of these obviously cultivate better health, better happiness, clarity of thought, um, more effective action, and that's just the natural results of practices. Um, so then that that's plenty, really, isn't it? For, you know, it's, life is just improved by yogic practice. Um, so that is basically plenty for um, for people. There's a couple of people who might want to meditate more and get right into this um, kind of transforming the consciousness realm or um, limbs of yogic practice. So dhyan and samadhi are are really for people who are serious about their meditation and are dedicated to sitting every day and sitting for longer and longer periods. You know, there's a sutra, Dirgikala Nairantarya Satsakara Sevato Dridpumi, which means you have to sit a long time with concerted effort to reach this, you know, foundation of uh, transformed awareness. So... uh I'm not saying it's for everybody to sit in hours of meditation every day, but <laughs> um, if you are so inclined, then you will start to realize that your 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 consciousness does become transformed simply by sitting, simply by sitting in meditation and allowing your focus to become still, and then allowing the natural transformation to happen in the consciousness, which is into dhyan, which is this beautiful flowing stillness um, which you can experience mm-hmm. and and it's lovely it's beautiful like to me it's like taking a bubble bath or something it's just wonderful it's just so deeply replenishing and refreshing and nourishing and healthy and it's very healing for the mind as well as the body so I believe it will bring around a round of deep mental health in people who practice this so that's going to, you know, transform our culture and society if people are deeply healthy. Yes, and definitely. Deeply, yeah, not only physically but mentally. Like they're they're sane. There's a sanity which comes about after this deep stillness practice. Now, it's as if our mind, yeah. Is it important? You know, there's there's in our society when people want to learn yoga, they go to a yoga class and find a teacher. If they want to learn meditation, you, you know, people will look online for a place where they can learn meditation and have a teacher. For mm. for this level of, of dedication and commitment for the people who want to go further in meditation practice, is it important mm. to have a teacher? Yes, it is, because the mind and the ego is a very tricky universe, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like uh, it's unknown territory to the ego. Mm-hmm. And almost by definition, you're going into that realm of yourself, which is subtler than ego. So naturally, um, the ego uh, responds to that and says, hey, wait a minute, like, I, 
I don't want you to go there or, you know, something. So uh, actually in the third chapter of Patanjali, mm-hmm. uh, is after, after Samadhi is described, Patanjali goes on to describe a lot of different kinds of experiences which a yogi might have. You know, uh, just 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 experiences um, which seem paranormal, which seem psychic, which seem extraordinary. Things like being able to, you know, fly, or being able to become small as an atom, or being able to see into the future, or tell people's pasts. You know, kind of your psychic and paranormal experiences. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Patanjali wrote these down basically as a, a reference to some things you might experience, but he also puts very strongly um, a note in that chapter that don't get caught up or confused or worried or hung up on these particular experiences. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, so so the, mm-hmm. these kinds of experiences may be distractions or obstacles or may hinder... Um, may not be the ultimate goal, we can say. Absolutely. And that is where a teacher comes in. That's when, at that level, um, a teacher is there to um, kind of snap you out of any self-delusion you've gotten into about, you know, uh, yourself as a yogi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, just to bring that clarity around, just to make sure that the ego doesn't become... Um, identified with some, you know, oh, I'm a great yogi, I can see the future, you know, and that's now my great power. And the ego can actually even get more powerful and stronger after practice. And I, often you see people, after having practiced a lot of yoga, that they're actually, they seem even more egoful mm-hmm. <laughs> than your average person. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So yeah. this is a, this is a this has definitely been this has been recorded. This is well known, and um, that's when it's very good to have somebody who's farther along the road, somebody who's more advanced in their practice, just like um, you know a, a big sister or something, just to say, hey, you know, don't get caught there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I've so, heard the uh, metaphor that the higher you climb the mountain, the steeper can be the fall or the more dangerous the the fall well absolutely because um because the ego gets involved because the ego is um defining itself places it it's not familiar with so it's really good when you're working with the mind field to have some great guidance and i think that people who resist um being open to somebody else's guidance, I think that is a sign of their own um, e- ego, and um, I think at a certain point you have to be open and trust that somebody's giving you good guidance. But then that's your choice to find that teacher, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's your. That's your. Yeah, it's totally your free choice to find somebody that you trust who's going to give you positive, you know, freeing, life supporting. Um, liberating feedback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think right? that's, that's exactly how we would define what a, what a teacher is able to do, is have a, mm-hmm. a grander knowledge of things or a, um, yeah, the ability to, to help a student to reach the ultimate destination or to 
and not get lost on the way. Ultimately, to keep becoming free again and again and again. You know, because as you practice, um, even if uh, even if you have a great experience of samadhi, you have a great experience of something. Uh, these uh, you know these revelations, these openings, the, you know, all these things. Um, there's still a lot of situations and karma which come back and uh, kind of wrap you up again. Mm-hmm. So you know, or get you caught up again and again. So it's just the ongoing path. That's why it's wonderful to keep practicing and keep meditating and and never think that um, you're you're done. You know, <laughs> it's really an ongoing practice of continually um, becoming free again, becoming free again. And um, it's always wonderful to have someone in your life who can remind you. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're free, and to say to you, you know what, this is this this thing you're caught up in um, is not ultimately true or real. This thing you're thinking, this thought, this concept, this um, I, this ego, is ultimately not your pure, infinite being. You are actually free, and free of ego, and free of limitation, and always pure. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good friend who tells you that. Yes, definitely. I would say that that uh, that is a beautiful way of describing friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'd like to come back to this um, to this to, to this uh, topic of freedom that you just mentioned. But let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion. Welcome back, Padma. We've been talking for some time about dhyana and particularly samadhi. And before the break, you were you mentioned a couple times the word freedom. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about moksha or freedom and how it relates to samadhi. The word moksha means freedom. And the um really it's it's the space of um, pure samadhi. It's the, it's the really it's the purpose of yoga practice. And um, in Patanjali Yoga Sutras, the fourth chapter is called Kevalya Pad, which means the freedom chapter. It's about freedom. It's about um, living the space of an awareness of freedom. And so, as we were saying before, samadhi can be uh, an awareness of oneness with form and um, a whole range of different forms, and they're all different kinds of samadhis. Um, ultimately, at the end, you know, after all of that, there's also samadhi with formlessness. There's, there's a sense of oneness or an awareness of oneness of yourself with formless being. And that's called nirbija samadhi. And that's essentially freedom. That's that's basically when the the soul of the person knows its intrinsic and innate and true freedom. And there's that oneness, that samadhi with the space of of formless, infinite potential freedom. And um, that is called moksha. That's liberation. That's kaivalya. That's a lot of different Sanskrit words which describe the, the, the space of freedom 
um, freedom from ego, freedom from limited identification, limitation, freedom from a sense of smallness, freedom from duality and a sense of isolation. Now, freedom from, yeah. what would be the, um, if, if you experienced that, that, mm. what, would, what would not hold you back from just completely giving yourself up to that? Uh, nothing really. I mean, you could you could just sit in that state of samadhi, um, and you know, in your room <laughs> for the rest of your life if you wanted to. Um, I'm sure you'd be totally happy. Other people might not understand, but you'd be fine. Um, but the thing is about freedom is that it's exactly what it means. It means freedom. So it you is, don't have to. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, I've I've often. Um, read about you know Swami Shivananda or Swami Radha and or Swami or Paramahansa Yogananda and they talk about mm-hmm. the term Mahasamadhi. Mm-hmm. Can you can you can you speak a well, little Mahasam- bit about mm-hmm. Mahasamadhi? Um, I believe they're referring to that. Um, sometimes people use different words in different ways, slightly in different mm-hmm. lineages. But Mahasamadhi is often referred to basically as um, after you you pass away from this physical realm, right? Like it's actually you're just infinitely in your formless being now and your physical body is shed off. It's as if Uh your body has died, you know, but you are now completely always in this Mahasamadhi. Uh And and even um, uh, you hear of people who are you know, at their samadhi or in their samadhi, it means that they've, in Western terms, it means they've died. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, like in cases where they have um, done tests on yogis who are meditating and they can't detect any pulse or any heart or Uh any breath. Mm -hmm. There's that. And then there's actually also when you actually, your body is dead, you know, and they take it down to the river and they, they burn it to ashes and that's it, it's gone. Um, it's still considered that you are in your samadhi. Aha, uh-huh, right, because the uh, s- samadhi is not connected to form a physical body. It's not dependent on it. Mm-hmm. Not dependent on it. So it's um, it's that state which is constant and ever-present that that freedom space in your beach samadhi that uh, the space of kind of ultimate liberation and you know then there comes the question well can you experience ultimate liberation while you have a body mm-hmm. you know is it possible to have a physical body and an ego and a personality and a mind and also be in awareness of freedom so that becomes a whole philosophical <laughs> inquire into that and some schools think no as long as you have a body you can't possibly be free mm-hmm. and uh, other people as um, my teacher my lineage and as I believe is that um, that space is always ever present and can be realized while we're here which is and I've that, heard that that term jivan mukti uh, a soul that's, that's right. liberated mm-hmm. exactly and so, therefore, then, um, you're absolutely liberated in this life, and you can sit in your room and close your eyes and meditate for the next 50 years if you want to. You know, or you can just uh, 
<laughs> open your eyes, get up and make a cup of tea and phone your friends and have great conversations and, you know, go out into the world and enjoy living with everyone and um, and life is just magnificent and wonderful, right? And you can do anything you choose to if you decide to um, manifest some good in the world. Bah, imagine the power you have behind you now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Acting in total freedom, say, I'm going to do that. And then that you just go ahead and do it because you're acting in total freedom, unencumbered. And um, it's a much more powerful way to be in the world. It's much more effective and it's and it's always positive. Right? People sometimes say if people are free then all you know, negativity and havoc will wreck on the society and all that. But it's not true. When people are truly free, there's awareness of the oneness of life. And when you have an awareness of oneness of life, you never will hurt that life. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a deep reverence then for well, all of life. Because you know it's basically essentially you. Mm-hmm. It's it's you. That's that's what who's happening here. It's, that's what's going on. So there's actually an incredible um, awareness of the divinity of life and the the beauty and uh, you know the imagination and the excellence and the um, the love in life. And now your actions will be always based in that awareness. Now that's just the most perfect point for us to um, bring our interview to a close with that, knowing that that experience can help us to live in this world with that with that um, awareness of oneness and of love and of freedom and of all the things that our actions then become infused with when we exactly. do live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect, Laura. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. That's exactly w- how we can be, right? It's exactly our potential and how we can be. And it's real and we can really um, be, become aware of that in our lifetime right now. And um, I'm really happy that we had the chance to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Now, for people who have been listening to these interviews that we've done and are interested in perhaps studying and exploring these topics further with you, what is uh, the best way for them to get in touch with you? And are you having any courses that you'll be running in the summer and the fall that people can can commit to? Uh, well, yes, thank you. Um, uh, people can always go to padmayoga.ca, which is my website. So it's padma, P-A-D-M-A, yoga.ca. And um, there it describes various things I'm up to right now. I <laughs> just finished the, some yoga meditation television series, which are described on the website there. So people can always uh, watch my show on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also there, they could buy the DVDs of those and play them because on those I describe so many of the practices. And I also bring up a Sanskrit word every single episode and have a whole talk like we've been doing. Mm-hmm. We have a whole little discussion about a Sanskrit word. So mm-hmm. there's lots of information in those. Mm-hmm. And I made them to be really full of very you know, good information, but there's a lot of value in them. And um, yes, I am doing workshops. Um, I've, I've been developing a meditation teacher training program, which I am offering in um, in the form of a series of workshops. Mm-hmm. 
and um, I am offering some of those last year and this year and um, in, in July there's one and a few in the fall so you know there's different dates through 2011, 2012, 2013 it's going to go on all these workshops that uh, all work together to create this meditation teacher training program that I'm doing it sounds so Sounds yes, people can always just go to the site there and find out the workshops, the DVDs, or even private classes. Um, sometimes I have small private groups that get together and study, mm-hmm. or I have individuals who study with me over a long time and, um, and just evolve their own meditation practice. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, thank you so much for your time and being with us on Dristy Point and for um, for helping us, our listeners, um, and the people who will hear this interview, some of the deeper insights and wisdom to the practice of yoga. You know, it's, it's, there's been so much that you've talked about, and it's so wonderful to hear of someone who, who has that experience and, and wisdom to be able to speak about yoga in the, in the way that yoga was... Um, was revealed and mm-hmm. and not um, necessarily the the yoga that is commonly understood it's um, it's a real <clears throat> real precious gift I think to be able to to have a teacher um, and have some have contact with someone who has that comprehensive understanding like you well, thank you very very much thank you I really appreciate that and uh, I really appreciate you inviting me on this show and and um, engaging in this wonderful dialogue that we've had. It's been really fantastic and wonderful, and I look forward to talking more and to meeting anybody who wants to contact me. It's just great. Wonderful. That's, again, padmayoga.ca. Thank you for listening to Drishti Point. We dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings.